Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and we've got uh, another social distancing episode here. We've got uh, Don Pizzette up here in Studio 5. We have Justin Dennison over here in Studio 7. Hi, Justin. Hey. And Daniel Lowry is over there in, what is that, Studio 3? Yeah. E.T., phone home. There you go. Welcome, guys. You know, this is an audio format so, <laughs> so nobody knows what you're doing <laughs> respond when I say hi. Uh, and we're also joined today remotely uh, by Chris Morales who's the head of security analytics at Vectra Chris how you doing hey guys I'm doing as well as I can sitting at home for six weeks now yeah yeah well you're you're in a beautiful place we determined you're uh, up in the the Bay Area of, of California so I can think of worse places to be stuck and it's cold probably so it's good to be inside right good way to look at it yeah for sure, I can't complain. What's really weird is you're talking like it's bad that you're stuck at home, and I'm like, ah, I'm stuck at home. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's- yeah, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of different being, I like being home and I like working at home, but it's different when they tell you you have to, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. If they never, yeah. It, well, it's, <laughs> yeah. on weekends, though, that, that I'm not productive, typically I feel like a waste of, of space. On weekends now, when I stay at home, I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hero. I'm helping save <laughs> lives. So it, there's, there's different ways to look at it. And then the rest of us feel like you're a waste of space. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that doesn't change. <laughs> Your opinions of me remain the same. Hey, uh, let's get to know a little bit more about Chris and a little bit more about Vectra in our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Chris, so we're going to have five minutes. Each of us is going to ask a question. You have roughly 45 seconds to a minute to answer each one of those questions. You run over time. We're going to buzz you and move on. Are you ready? What do I win? Uh, Absolutely nothing. Anyway, (laughs) Peter, go ahead and take it away. You win uh, the respect of your peers and and us. Uh, So first of all, uh, Vectra, I've mentioned a couple times, uh, but tell us a little bit about Vectra for those that don't know and and some of the things you guys have been working on uh, recently research-wise. Yeah, absolutely. A company named Vectra.ai, which tells a lot. We are a data science company focused on cybersecurity. The company was built around solving this really hard problem of what we call the two percenter attack. Like, how do you find attackers that can get in, get past everything, lay off the land, and are able to get across the network, and you can never find them? And the ones I'm talking about are like, you can start naming breaches like Equifax, for example, like, who are those guys? How'd they get across? Like, how do you find them? And we're using data science to map to behaviors from when people first get on the network, all the way to a lot of lateral movement to stealing data, destroying data, or encrypting data. So I was reading through a paper, I think we're going to talk about that later, and there was a lot of mentions of privileged access. So how is privileged access changing the security landscape? It, it's everything right now. and. What's changed is that as networks changed, we started to have to realize what is really privileged access. It's not just administrators, quite simply, it's anybody who has access to resources that are uh, valuable. Um, You can look at a lot of the current breaches that I'm sure you're gonna talk about later, like how did Cognizant get compromised? Uh, How did uh, 
GoDaddy get compromised. Like these are all people with accounts. How are people getting the cloud? And when you look at every attack, every single attack that ever happened uh, predominantly, it always is about getting privileged access and then they get to do whatever they want. So I love it when we get to interview data science companies because you guys, uh, you know, you get a lot of the raw data that a lot of people can see, but then you interpret it. And a lot of times you'll find things, recognize patterns that the rest of us don't see. So I'm curious in all the information that you've been looking at over the, the course of the last year, like what, what do you view as the biggest challenge to companies in security? Yeah, so this interestingly predates the uh, stay-at-home order, which I think has th made things worse. But what we learned is that the biggest issue is what we call unusual access, privileged access from an unusual host, um, which quite simply means that people are using accounts to get to privileged items or services from machines that they probably shouldn't have. Great example is if you're an administrator and you have a home laptop and you want to use that instead of a work one, then you're just logging in. That's not a problem, except the fact that you've now just said that anybody can use that account from any machine. That's the problem. And when you look at any attack, that's what it is. It's just using privilege access from a remote location uh, that they shouldn't have. And lots of people tell you they have privilege access management and that they're stopping the problem. But the data we see across all industries tells us that the problem is persistent and it exists everywhere. Hey, Chris, uh, my question is, what sets Vectra apart from its competitors? What makes you unique? I'd say it's that we started fundamentally with security research and data scientists. What I've seen is that a lot of the competitive market we're getting are, you have a lot of network vendors that are pivoting into the space and they hear this concept of internal visibility, network visibility. In fact, they call the market network traffic analysis, which is pretty vague if you think about it. It just means I can analyze network traffic. But the whole spirit of it is network detection response, which is finding attackers and understanding how attackers uh, move across networks and what they do. Because we started with security research, we fundamentally built that that way and built data for threat hunting, for instant response, for all these different things. Um, so honestly, I just think it's the brain trust we have and the way we built it from the beginning to be purpose built. Are you talking about yourself? Are you tooting your own horn there? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. well, it's, uh, I, like, I think of myself as a data scientist light, but we have some really smart PhDs. I wouldn't want to insult them. Yeah. So uh, what would you say some of the uh, industry trends are related to uh, privileged access and what they support? Yeah, well, I'll tell you the biggest industry trend. We can, uh, we can start talking about this new stay-at-home thing. Um, there's this concept of account takeover within Office going on right now, Microsoft Office, um, because everybody's at home and everybody's using Teams, OneDrive, Word, Office, Microsoft's dominating. Their shares are way up on this, their daily users. So then you also have things like Zoom, like uh, what everybody obviously knows. So these are giving you the ability to get to accounts and to move laterally using these cloud services. And that's a huge shift. And so when we start thinking of a privileged access in this new environment, it's like, okay, well, you're sitting at home. What is lateral movement? It's, it's that, it's the cloud. Makes sense. Well, thank you for the uh, work that you're doing to help keep us safe then. And uh, I think we're going to talk about uh, one of your research reports in just a minute. But uh, first, let's go ahead and uh, jump over to our next segment, find out uh, who got pwned this week. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! 
funny because we had our pick of the litter when we were looking at who got pwned this week because there are several people, and I think we'll get to a few more of those uh, when we talk about the news uh, in a little bit, but uh, this was the one that kind of stuck out to us as interesting. Uh, this article is over at ZDNet.com. Nintendo accounts are getting hacked and used to buy Fortnite currency. Nintendo has recommended that users enable two-factor authentication on their accounts. So this, this is telling me, Don, that Nintendo itself didn't get hacked and, and their database released, but people are getting basically fished and their accounts compromised? Well, you know, the, the reports have started changing a little bit. So the the first news to break was that multiple people were seeing charges show up on their credit card, usually in $100 amounts. Some people were getting two or three of these charges, so you'd see $300 come out. And whoever was compromising the accounts was purchasing Fortnite V-Bucks. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the value of a <laughs> Fortnite V-Buck, uh, but then they're turning around and they're selling them through online marketplaces to actually turn them back into real cash, which I am familiar with. Now, uh, the initial appearance of this looked like it was credential stuffing, right? That we have uh, compromised credentials that are available in massive databases online and people just replaying them and finding people that have reused a password on Nintendo. Nintendo is not known for having a robust, reliable, secure network. It's all really kind of cobbled together. Uh, and so they actually have two different sets of IDs that people use, and it was the older IDs that were targeted, which makes it really more likely for people to be using old passwords, passwords that haven't changed. But a few people have come out in the last day or two saying that they were using unique passwords that were generated by a password manager just on Nintendo's site. And that is a little more incriminating right there. Now it's not credential stuffing. Now it means that there may actually be a compromise of some sort. And I've never thought that I would see Fortnite as the uh, money laundering scheme of, yeah. of choice. Because I've seen Ozark, and uh, they're using casinos and dry cleaners and strip clubs. But never Fortnite, but that, that's kind of smart, actually. <laughs> well, I, I know for a while um, there is a video game called uh, CSGO. It's Counter-Strike go and i can't remember what go stands for uh but anyhow it, it has this like loot box system where you get keys and you can unlock a loot box and steam had to disable that system earlier this year because they said that over 90 percent of the transactions of these keys were fraudulent activity so like these online digital assets are are actually being converted they're being used for like money laundering and things where people are able to convert them into real cash so it's a it's a real problem even though it's something stupid and fake like a skin for your video machine gun, uh, the criminals are able to make money off it. It looks like uh, Fortnite V-Bucks is like 1000 for $10 or something like that. So I don't know, what is that? Uh, it's $100 or 100 to 1 exchange. Okay. And they were selling them, I know on one site it was something like 40,000 40, V-Bucks for $40. So that means you know, you're getting a 90% discount if you buy from the hackers. But if you do that, you're part of the problem. <laughs> but you get V bucks. But man, I need that Fortnite. Also, <laughs> I gotta win. You could be supporting <laughs> terrorists. There, there's precedence for this. Like, it's not a new thing that attacks are looking for ways to find money in creative ways. Like, there's a whole problem going on for now. An analogy: the travel industry. It turns out that all the points you get in hotels and flights and all that stuff are also valuable in the same way the Fortnite bucks are or any other game. That they're just looking for ways to convert it. Um, and then resell items on long on, and it's not just converting directly to cash. They also resell on black markets. Like it's a big industry. There's people who want certain items. And, and if you're able to take these Fortnite bucks and buy something, then sell it to somebody else. It's a return on investment, same as any travel miles or anything else of perceived value. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess that's why a lot of times you'll see them trying to get you to buy Apple gift cards or Google Play uh, credits or things like that, because it's once you kind of pass it through something like that, it, it's harder to track it back then. 
I get that email all the time, by the way, from our, our CEOs, Hitesh, and I always get this email from Hitesh saying, I need you to go to the store and buy a $1,000 gift card, scratch them off, take a picture of the back and send it to me. Yeah. And well, when your performance review comes around and you know, he brings up, hey, why have you never brought me these <laughs> gift cards? You find out that it was actually true. I, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the last time I got one of those, I actually responded back and I said, uh, you know, we just bought 10... Sh- should I just buy a hundred this time? And you know, that way we don't have to keep going back. And the guy was very energetic about, uh, yes, buy 100. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to give you priority access. today. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's ridiculous. But basically if you have a Nintendo set up, it sounds like enabling, uh, multi-factor, two-factor authentication is, is the way to go. But it sounds like we're also not at the end of this because if it is in fact that, Nintendo was hacked and not just people's accounts. There could be more coming out of this. So uh, keep an eye on those credit card charges. And uh, yeah, and, and think, think about your consumer accounts that you have. A lot of people forget about these. You have a Samsung TV. So at some point you register, you have a Samsung account and you forget about it, right? Uh, those are areas where if you have 2FA turned on them or MFA, then it's okay to not change your password once a year or whatever. But if you don't have MFA turned on, you could potentially have passwords attached to accounts that are years old that still have valid credit cards attached to them. And that's easy to lose sight of. So enable MFA wherever you can. All right. So, uh, Chris, um, normally, again, this is the part of the show where I ask you about things that you have coming up, but uh, you obviously don't have events right now. Uh, so uh, what's going on with you guys? I know you, you mentioned people can find you at uh, Vector.ai, was it? Uh, yeah, Vector.ai. And, and it's funny you say that because I know the exact day of the lockdown in the Bay Area, we were first. It was the weekend before St. Paddy's because I had a flight on March 14th to London, and then I was going to go to Dublin, then Dubai, then Melbourne, then Sydney. I feel like I was going to carry this virus around the world like a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, you are patient zero. Yeah. Yeah, I was on like, it's a two and a half week trip. So we have completely regrouped uh, our efforts. And yes, we've canceled all events and it's all uh, virtual, digital for us right now, participating in, in all the usual stuff, webcast. Uh, we are involved in the industry quite a bit. Sure. And Things we- like working with San. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and I know you're, you're still putting out uh, research. We, we talked a little bit about your latest report, does privileged access equal trusted access? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And, and it was interesting timing. Um, and it simply comes down to the fact, some of the things I mentioned is that as we look at, so this is a prevention detection problem, right? A lot of people often say, well, why don't you just stop and control it? Let's, these Nintendo accounts are actually a great example. Uh, there's this concept that like, if you have strong authentication and you put multi-factor, if you notice, that's just a point blank we say in security, like just give it multi-factor, you'll be good. What we actually know is that's not true. You'll be better than if you didn't have it, but it doesn't mean you're good. It just means you're better than you were. But what doesn't exist there in those accounts and a particular privilege is understanding how those are used, when they're used, where they're used. Like none of that authentication, multi-factor, no matter how strong of a password you give, none of it says this is your Nintendo Switch. You use it on this network at home. You play this game at this time. Um, I know that you have this pattern. You stay on this long. What I'm describing are, are usage patterns, which is what privilege access analytics is. And that's a data science thing. Trying to learn those actually tells you how accounts are used and what that looks like so that 
you get past this whole thing like did you have two factor did you not did you have this proper projection it's like well hold on a second let's just ask if the right person is using the account to do the right thing which becomes a bigger problem for the insider uh edward snowden like he had privileged access and he just used it in ways he shouldn't that's a whole nother pattern of a privileged account going to host it shouldn't versus an account being used from a host it shouldn't all these different patterns, if you're not actually aware how administrative accounts are used or exist or what's there, we just keep ending up in this circle of like, oh, it might've been hacked, it might not have. I don't know if it was used or not. Change your credentials, add two-factor. It, it's still not trusted. I don't know. I like to think I'm pretty unpredictable on my Nintendo. Uh, different <laughs> patterns, different games all the time. Do you know what? I was upset about that. I, I've been considering a Switch. This thing happened. I want to play Mario Kart. I can't buy a Switch. I guess it's good. Yeah, and I can see where this would be a great opportunity for data scientists where, like, you know, just as a regular security professional or whatever, we don't necessarily have the ability to correlate all the data to know what's that normal behavior of a user. But if we did, if we knew that, I guess there's some things that are obvious, like, hey, you don't normally log in from North Korea, right? That one's pretty obvious. But an activity you perform at a certain time, it takes a lot of effort to, to uh, you know, put all that together and, and put the pieces of the puzzle together. But then you have a pandemic, too, and... and Everything changes. Data, yeah, all that <laughs> changes all of a sudden. So things may be getting flagged right off the bat there. Uh, so that, that could definitely. That's actually true, by the way. I, we've been tracking that and looking at that. Uh, we started looking for things like, are you using the VPN versus, this really happened. I don't want to call out anybody, but turning on RDP directly to servers to bypass your perimeter so that you can administer at home on your Comcast. Like that's an actual issue you want to look for. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then what happens is that people use Shodan Scanner to scan and look for those RDP ports and they're exposed. Somebody was just trying to do their job. Yeah. It's crazy times we're living in right now. But uh, if you want to find that uh, research report, uh, head over to Vector.ai and it looks like under the resources section, uh, there is an area for industry research. And it's the first one there. So check that out. But there's a ton of other stuff there. Um, white papers, eBooks, case studies, all kinds of things to, to take a look at. So um, Chris, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your day. I know, like we said, things are crazy right now, but we appreciate you jumping on with us for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. All right. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with the news. Uh, that'll be just a second right after this here on TechNATO with Don Pizzetti. This is Josh. Josh spent $2,500 on a week of classroom training for CompTIA A+, and got certified. Josh got a good job that pays $40,000 per year. This is Jeremy. Jeremy only spent $299 on a full year of training from IT Pro TV, including A and 300 other courses. Jeremy also got a great job that pays $40,000 per year. Jeremy used the more than $2,200 he saved on IT training for a fabulous tropical vacation. Now, Jeremy is still using his IT Pro TV membership to study for Network Plus and Security Plus to advance his career, but not spending any more money. Since all three are included in his IT Pro TV membership plus 300 more courses. Don't be like Josh. Choose IT Pro TV for your IT training. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette. We're going to get to the news now. We got a lot of great stories to talk about and our first one is over at windowscentral.com. Leaked Microsoft video shows why Surface PCs don't support Thunderbolt, according to a leaked video from Microsoft Surface Devices. Don't support Thunderbolt because it's insecure. And so, yeah, I, w I watched this video and 
first of all, I was laughing the whole time at the uh, um, the captions because they looked like they were trying to guess what the person was saying because he kept saying how he was sol- uh, soldering things and they kept saying solid it. But anyway, that's not important. Good story. Yeah, but and he uh, stabbed him, <laughs> <laughs> stabbed him. <laughs> with, with the soldering iron. Yeah, so it's Christopher Walken. Yeah. So Thunderbolt. Ports are insecure, and I've got them here. So uh, should I be worried? That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say Thunderbolt's dumb. That's, <laughs> That's that was right. A good enough article. <laughs> so what is the issue? Is it like direct memory access? Or yeah. So you know Thunderbolt has had a bit of a weird history on basically anything other than a Mac, right? So Apple embraced Thunderbolt really early on, and the main reason was it moves data super mega fast. And so if you're doing things like video editing off of an HD video camera, it's an ideal port type to use. So Apple latched onto it because the creative types generally, uh, well, back then it was creative types like Mac. Now it's creative types and people who feel cool uh, that are using it. And so Thunderbolt was designed for that, moving data quickly. Well, one of the ways it does that is by leveraging a DMA or a direct memory access channel that lets the port communicate directly with the processor, bypassing the operating system, and that is fast. Well, what Microsoft found was that because it bypasses the operating system, there's no way for the OS to protect from attacks on that port. So somebody could craft a Thunderbolt USB key that delivered an attack payload and that if they plugged in, they could directly communicate with the processor and then pull off things like Spectre and Meltdown, you know, all these different attacks that require uh, doing Uh, various communications with the cache inside of the CPU, they could pull that off. So Microsoft just looked at it and said, you know, there's no way for us to secure it, so we're not going to use those ports. And I I didn't realize that prior to this article. I've I've often wondered why Thunderbolt didn't really catch on anywhere other than with Macs. And I knew that even on a Mac, like if you install Windows on your Mac, the Thunderbolt ports work, but not really. Like if a device is connected when you boot up, it works. But if you plug in a device after you're already booted, it doesn't work. And it's just because Microsoft hasn't put a lot of effort into it, and Intel hasn't either. So uh, so that's the, the backstory on why that one is not there. It almost sounded like you said Microsoft developers are overworked and they don't have time to figure this out, so we just won't support them. <laughs> Maybe this is their excuse. Yeah, they're like, it's insecure. Is it really, Bill? It is. I'm <laughs> tired. Can't do it anymore. Insecure enough for me. Why, why would it work when you boot it up when it's plugged in versus like a plug and play? Because it's not drunk yet. Oh. Well, you know, so like normally <laughs> when you plug in a USB key, for example, that's removable storage. Yep. So there's a whole lot of plug and play stuff that's in place just waiting for you to snag it out of the port and redetect and all that. So when you boot up and it's already plugged in, it's probably because the BIOS recognized the device was there. And so Windows is seeing it as a permanent device. And it's not scanning for permanent devices after it's already booted. So we just all use USB-C and call it a day. And that's basically what Microsoft did. They said, look, we support USB-C. We've got these uh, USB 3.0, 3.2 ports or whatever. You can move data pretty darn fast. Thunderbolt is four times as fast. And that matters to people who are doing video editing. But for everybody else, the speeds of USB-C and, and USB 3 have been good enough. And honestly, like so many devices are still like USB 3 type. Like the what? what's the specification for that uh, connector? Is it B? USB-B, whatever it is, that, that rectangular connector. I hate oh. having none ports. I have to stick, stick a dock on my Mac so that I can actually connect with 99% of the things that are out yeah. there that I would like to connect to. So I, just, I just have a bunch of dongles that I put together. <laughs> it's about 
about three foot long that I'm like, finally, I can plug this. Oh, it doesn't work. Yeah. Bam. Yeah, I have this USB keychain thing that I carry around, and I, and I don't know why anymore because I'm like, even if I needed to grab a file with it, I wouldn't be able to, to get it. So. <laughs> yeah, the USB bouquet or the yeah. dongle bouquet. Yeah. yeah, that's what I need. I need a new keychain for my keychain. But uh, so it sounds like no action items here except uh, they're going to continue to not support it. Yeah, they're saying in the future that maybe Intel or somebody will implement some better protections in the CPU. They mention uh, one of them in the article, but it's something that's not widespread. So one day we'll have it. But if you're holding your breath for Intel on like the Microsoft Surface or really other Microsoft machines, it, it's probably not coming soon. I'm sure that's a large audience. Yeah. <laughs> you can stop holding your breath. I'm going to go ahead and take that out of my cart then. I've been waiting. <laughs> yeah. Good thing you didn't pull the trigger yet. Yeah. yeah. I was just cl- I was like, any day now, it's going to drop. And then we learn this. Garbage. All your hopes, dreams, and desires dashed. All right. Let's have, uh, head over now to our next article at ibtimes.com. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Times. Uh, I assume we're... Oh, international business. <laughs> that makes more sense. Okay. I thought it was the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, poop. Nearly 2 million... Also- <laughs> Stop it. Going down that path. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you get them started, know, then we're right? in real trouble. <laughs> Grandpa Tick will jump out on you. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 2 million Australian down, uh, Australians download coronavirus tracker app. So uh, this sounds like uh, this would never fly in I, America. I feel like this is 2 million Australians downloaded an app that tells other people your medical history. They did that. I thought it was called iPhones. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Uh, but in this case, so the, the app is basically tracking people. Then it can say, oh, I know that, that this person has tested positive, so we can go back in time and look at, at the history and see people that you were in cr- close proximity with. Uh, and it'll also alert you if someone that you were near uh, did uh, test positive. So, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly useful in that case, but the, the privacy implications of it are, um, you know, pretty big there. Is this have like a freemium model where I can pay for STDs as well? <laughs> you can pay for STDs? You can do that. It's yeah. an in-app purchase. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, I need to know if this is gonorrhea or if I really need to go to the doctor. <laughs> Click. I think you'd want to go anyway. Yeah, nah, nah. You just, out of sight, out of mind. Okay. As long as you bite down on that spatula wrapped in a towel, you'd be all right. Uh-huh. Yeah, just, just let it pass. Yep. I think that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Syphilis? Yeah, tertiary stage. You won't even know it's happening. It goes to your brain. Makes Swiss cheese. Well, <laughs> we had to look up on uh, Wikipedia or wherever Don looked, but to find out what percentage of the population this was. But Don, what, what did we find out? Uh, so, for the record, I went to the World Bank, who actually has real data, not uh, Wikipedia. Because uh, oh. <laughs> I saw you know, 2 million Australians downloaded this app, and, and here in the U.S., we have a population that's approaching 400 million. So 2 million is not a st- statistically significant number here, right? So it's not enough to make a difference. But I kind of wonder what the population was in Australia. And it's just shy of 25 million people, which I, I assume they had way more people than that. Uh, but 2% of 25 million, that is statistically significant. So uh, they do get a pretty decent idea. Now, there has been a lot of talk about this stuff because Apple and Google have been in communication saying, look— Everybody's got our phones, and so we could turn on this type of tracking. And here in the U.S., we've been hemming and hawing on it. Germany was about to pull the trigger on doing it, and and you know not even giving the people a choice. Just hey, Apple, Google, turn it on, share the data with us. Uh, there are huge privacy concerns with this because obviously 
it's not anonymous. They have to be able to notify you. They're tracking your location. This is a, a huge Big Brother 1984 type thing. So in Australia, they took that step of saying, well, let, let's just do a dedicated app just for this. People can opt in. And, you know, right away, just about 10% of the population opted in and threw that app on there. Um, you know, we'll see if it makes a difference. I know Australia was one of the countries hit earliest by the uh, the whole pandemic. So I think they're probably far enough along that they're out of the worst of it. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of a little too late. But too next late. time there's a pandemic, we'll be ready. <laughs> real, real quick, does this app also inform you if your neighbor has toilet paper? Ooh, that would be useful. Yeah. For, yeah, for yeah. Which house purposes. to break into? Yeah. yeah he's <laughs> it's just a bunch of cat burglars. Like, I got this toilet paper. Mm. It's a high price. $7 a roll. Let's do it. But if, if it's this kind of thing where it's just an app, you could down, you could uninstall it after the fact. If it's you know Google or or Apple turning something on on your phone and just giving that data to the government, that that's a little bit harder to opt out of. It sounds like without opting out by getting a BlackBerry. Yeah. It, so the 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 hard part here for me is uh, from a from a social perspective, from wanting to support your fellow man, I would I would kind of want to install the app to be able to do this, right? Uh, because it, it only works if enough people use it. Because if you come in contact with somebody who's not using the app and they have tested positive, you're now potentially a carrier, but you don't know it. And so all the data that you're reporting doesn't really matter anymore. But then when you test positive later, it does go back if, from what I read. Yeah, you, people you assuming you ever get. test, but if you're asymptomatic, yeah. you know, you don't know. Uh, and the uh, the article goes on to state that uh, they've only had six thousand seven hundred instances of coronavirus in Australia, which is is pretty low. So with that number, like out of twenty five million people, it's it is a tough call. Like whether you give up your privacy or so, not. So this is one of those things that the, the the part that scares me is like this is used as a justification during a time where maybe people are fearful, mm -hmm. uh, right? Oh yeah, I'm going to download this app. Boom, 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 boom. Cool. But now, oh, well, we've justified it. It worked out well on this. Can we now apply this to other situations where maybe I'm not as fearful? Maybe I don't feel... Do, do you, yeah. Well, I mean, no, it seems no, like a weird it, thing for me. It'll be just like the Patriot Act. You know, as soon as the danger is gone, they'll turn it off. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Once we win the war on terror. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, just the, after the war on drugs. We're, we're going to yeah. wrap that one up first. Yeah, and that, war on drugs, that's a relatively new one, right? I'm, Carry the seven. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I think we're doing well though. Yeah, I think we're doing well. It's going well. Um, yeah, for me, I read this article and I was like, "That's a big no." I'm throw yeah, So if I find out about that, y'all let me know because I'm like, I'm going to old rotary style phones that I carry around in a backpack <laughs> and just like, <laughs> yeah. Where are you calling from? Don't know. Justin's got a sat phone. He's yeah. gonna be like Gene Hackman in uh, what was that? Movie? Enemy of the Little state. Enemy of the state. Yeah. yeah, he's got his own Faraday cage. Exactly. Yeah, until, until Will Smith comes Shows in and ruins everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah, but it turns out, uh, yeah, only 25 million uh, people in Australia. The rest are just uh, kangaroos with hats on. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say packs of roving wild dogs. Mingos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you do need to be careful about them as yeah. well. Uh, thank you, Ricky Bobby, for reminding mm -hmm. us about that. Yep. All right, our next article is from ArsTechnica.com. The FCC ratified Wi-Fi 6E this morning. Uh, the 6 gigahertz spectrum is officially opened for unlicensed use in the USA. And so my question is, does this cause different diseases than 5G? Or does, does 6E... Is it? Is this all right? Do we do we want to lead with the conspiracy theory because there is one? Oh, there is one. Oh, yeah, yes. that the oh, E stands out. for Ebola. 
Oh my! <laughs> Why would they put it in the name? Yeah. To let you know, like this, this is, it's not coronavirus. So, all right. So that's that five G network. I feel like there's an app that should be downloaded by people to let me know if they're part of those conspiracies. <laughs> if I've Have come I in contact, contact with, with any of those people, be like, "Hey, I heard that you think five G towers cause coronavirus." Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Well, let me show you this. This hammer causes unconsciousness. <laughs> Until you go to the morning stand-up at our office and you go, why is my phone beeping? Yeah. <laughs> Which one of these idiots is Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it blows my mind that people think that. So just to clarify, I didn't make that up. That's a real conspiracy theory. <laughs> so. All right, so what, what is Wi-Fi uh, 6, actually? All right, so right now, Wi-Fi for most people operates at either the 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz spectrums, and those are pretty crowded, especially the 5 gigahertz ones. So the more people that have Wi-Fi antennas in their home, the more interference you get, the more cluttered that network gets. Uh, and so, you know, people are feeling that pain. So the FCC has decided to open up another range of uh, uh, frequency bandwidth. And so that is the 6 gigahertz range. And they've actually opened up about uh, 1,200 megahertz of bandwidth in this 6 gigahertz range. And that's going to facilitate uh, a significant amount of more room, so much more room that a lot of the collision detection and stuff that we have in traditional wireless isn't necessary anymore. Uh, so you should be able to get at a minimum four times the bandwidth, although they show like statistically you could do seven times the bandwidth uh, of your wireless that you have now. The range will be about the same as five gigahertz, which is not as great. Like 2.4 gigahertz is still better range, but you get way faster speeds with five and, and now with 6E. So this has been batting around. I think we reported on it back in February because Broadcom had put out some equipment that was already set to the standard, even though it wasn't passed. Now it's passed. Intel, Broadcom, both of them are ready to crank out equipment. So towards the end of the year, we'll start to see some Wi-Fi 6E equipment showing up in the stores. And then here comes the Ebola. <laughs> Hemorrhagic right. fever, right. as far as I can see. Why am I bleeding out of my eyes? Yeah, that's yep. what concerns me, is even if I don't get it, if my neighbor gets it, then you yeah, gotta have yeah, an app. Ebola leaking in my house. And I'm gonna need an app that tracks if you were near someone with. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and start working on that. Y'all, I'm gonna need some yeah. seed money though. Y'all got? Y'all I got, got like thirteen dollars in my pocket. Yeah, all right, you got thirteen dollars. Peter's on the hook for twenty grand. Got it. I'll give you all my data. <laughs> that's that's valuable. that's better than money. Yeah, and my Nintendo account. You can use that. Yeah, can you fund a company with uh, Fortnite V bucks? I believe so. <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't, they probably got more money than So, anybody. But that kind of explains, uh, like, people getting all kinds of crazy about that. Sorry, this is a throwback, totally unrelated to Wi-Fi 6. Um, you ever tried to buy a gift card recently? Yeah. With yeah. your credit card? Yeah, it was real hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even if I'm the person who owns the credit card, still hard. Yeah. So they're like, you can't buy it here. I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, you got to go to the front desk. You got to give us 14 forms of identification. Really? And I was like, why? Money laundering. Yeah, it's like, right. what? I'm just going to go buy V-Bucks, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like, were you buying something weird, like 15 Visa gift cards or something? So I was buying two. Okay. And they were like, yeah, people have been coming in and buying uh, gift cards with cash to launder, like, drug money cash. And then How turning around. How big are these around, gift cards? <laughs> buying $3,000 gift cards? I don't, at the, I don't know, man. Time? That, That's what got <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not money laundering. Right. That's just money exchanging. Yeah, that's buying things. Money, money laundering is I own a laundromat, and I made $500 today, and I said, I made $4 million today. 
Yeah, I think you know, when you think about just cash, it has serial numbers on it. It is somewhat traceable. Um, a gift card, like once you swap that cash for the gift card, that breaks that chain. So it would be a way to, to money launder it. I know there was a there was an article last year that was talking about the people selling gift cards on eBay. Like mm-hmm. you see gift cards all the time on eBay that sell for more than the value of the gift card. Um, you know, why would I pay sixty dollars for a forty dollar gift card to Best Buy? And the reasoning was that people were buying these gift cards with dirty money, and then you know you were fi- effectively facilitating changing that out for clean money or, or other way around. I, I forget the order. Yeah. So the morals aside, you're saying I could just go to the store and buy you know a couple hundred dollars in gift cards and sell them for five hundred dollars on on eBay. And apparently so. Go on eBay and look. They and, unless they've done something to stop it, uh, the, you, you'd find them all over. I mean, eBay's not going to stop it. Unless... And you know what? I blame Wi-Fi Six. Yeah, it's all their fault. <laughs> yeah, the E stands for money laundering. Yep. Odd, odd acronym. Also yeah. Ebola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That too. All right. Our next article is from Krebs on security. Uh, this one is uh, a fish of GoDaddy employee jeopardized escrow.com, among others. So they were able to basically spearfish one guy, and it it uh, let them get into some of the uh, the more high-profile domain names, it sounds like, at, at GoDaddy, which is pretty frightening. Yeah, this one this one is a, a big eye-opener for people, and it highlights the danger of uh, how, how important our DNS infrastructure is, right? So if you think about it, like uh, you know, my day job is at IT Pro TV. If somebody were to you know break into a server and steal some data that that's bad right we don't want that to happen we'd have to notify all of our users there was a compromise and so on but you know you get over it you still have access to all of your systems and you go if somebody breaks into your bank account and takes your takes your money that that's bad but tomorrow you'll make some more money those are recoverable but if somebody manages to seize your dns domain name that's like shutting your entire business down down overnight and, and that's it. Like, imagine somebody coming and stealing your entire building. Uh, you know, that's the level of, of danger this creates. And then to do a high-profile site like escrow.com, which is usually used for money transfers for doing things like purchasing domains and exchanging them between people, uh, it, it really shows how dangerous this is. So an attacker was able to fish a, a spearfish, a GoDaddy employee, and once they managed to get their credentials, they were able to log in and start to manipulate some records. And apparently they had access for a little while, and they didn't make visible changes until, uh, 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 until I don't know, it was after a week or two. And so they made a change to a few websites, pointed them to compromised servers. Uh, they also issued some Lutz Encrypt certificates under the name of that... Uh, that, that company. So uh, a good bit of damage and really, really shocking. So I imagine somebody's not employed at GoDaddy anymore and that they've probably imp- implemented some better security practices. It concerns me that something like escrow.com is hosted at GoDaddy. Not necessarily hosted, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm just talking about the DNS part. Uh, yeah, that... Like, I, that is I didn't even know GoDaddy was still a thing. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Oh, GoDaddy's huge. Yeah. yeah. There's less of the racy Danica Patrick commercials, but... Uh, yeah, they've acquired a ton of stuff, yeah. and yeah, yeah. I like the message. So for for about two hours, it says on uh, on Monday evening, escrow.com's website just had the message. Thanks for the many years, but finally we decided to scam y'all. Uh, email support for your refunds. J.K. Malaysia dead. So I, I don't know if that's the name of the the group uh, here, or obviously they're from Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did think that was odd. They said the attacker was from Malaysia, but they used y'all. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, we should get um, uh, the, the the company to come back here and use their AI and their machine learning to yeah. profile. We, we, Is it actually? They it probably would have red flagged this and said, wait a minute, you're coming from Malaysia, but yeah. you used y'all. That's not normal. We're going to stop you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so unbeknownst to us, like a large portion of Malaysia population has a southern dialect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you from Mississippi? Nope, Malaysia. Weird. I learned English from the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Uh, actually, reruns. So my question is, Don, you said it was it was a few days and that they, uh, you know, d- got some certificates and things like that. Does that mean that it wasn't even noticed until that time? Because it, do you not get some kind of notification as a, a domain, you know, as as the manager of a website or or the host or something to say, hey, by the way, the the DNS information has changed. You know, you really don't. Uh, you know, when I go in and make modifications to DNS records, I don't get like an email confirmation of that. So if I'm able to successfully log in, I can change it all that I want. Now there are services out there. If you're paranoid about your DNS domains, and you should be, it's not really paranoia. Um, if you, if your company depends on the domain, there's services like DNS Spy that you can configure that will monitor all of your records. And the moment a record changes or the moment a new record is created, it alerts you. Uh, Be careful. A lot of DNS monitors out there will only monitor existing records, so they wouldn't show something new. When you do Let's Encrypt, you create a temporary DNS record to validate that you own the domain, and they won't see that. But when you use systems like DNS Buy that will do basically a zone transfer, they'll see that record get created and can alert you on it. So there are ways to monitor for it. But it's way better to just stop the change in the first place. Uh, and if you don't have domain transfer lock on your domain, then you're also at risk because somebody could compromise any of the registrars around the world and then say, oh, no, they, they said to transfer the domain over here. And now they can transfer it away and you lose control. So check your settings. Make sure you have DNS transfer lock turned on. And that's not something that, that if the person had, had spearfished them and gotten access to their account, they would have been able to turn off? Uh, in this case, uh, well, it takes several days to turn it off. Okay. So it's not like an instantaneous thing. Uh, and in this case, they didn't transfer the domains away. So I imagine that transfer lock was on. But since they were in with a, a, a GoDaddy support person's account, they pretty much had access to get in and mess around with stuff. So they added some records. That's fun. Good times. All right, our last article here is from uh, ThreatPost.com. Single malicious GIF opened Microsoft Teams to nasty attack. Uh, that's, that's frightening because I send a lot of GIFs. So I remember we, when we migrated from Slack to Teams. That was my big complaint. Peter was not happy. Oh, and his big complaint was the reduced amount of built-in animated GIFs. Yeah, no Giphy support. And the lack of the ability at the beginning, you couldn't even paste a GIF in, and now they obviously can because that's what got hacked. <laughs> <laughs> so it's people like you, Peter, that ruin security for the rest of us. I, I, I would be willing to give up you know, certain civil liberties <laughs> for the ability to post animated GIFs. GIFs. <laughs> if I oh, get- man. Man's hooked um, on them gifts. I downloaded the Australian <laughs> app, and I'm not even so, one of the 25 million. So real quick, Peter, it's not an animated gift, but it's a flip book, right? <laughs> it's like if I were to hand you a flip book, yeah. would you give me your bank account information? I'd see, I mean, I would take the risk of, you know, one in 100 times that you would get my bank account information. Yeah. Hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, like, do it as a straight-up trade. I'm gonna have I don't to, think that's what happened. I'm going to have to craft a good fish for Peter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You don't have to craft a good one. <laughs> it's just <laughs> GIF. I'm in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that looks funny. <laughs> Pictures of me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, Did you mean to swipe left? I want to see that. Yeah. 
Yeah, she wants a date? All right, I'm in. Um, so basically, how, how does that work, though? A, a, a GIF uh, is somehow like injecting code or something? So in, in this case, what happened, uh, and Daniel, you could probably expound on this more than me, but uh, the, the basics of it was that Teams wasn't really designed for animated GIFs. And with Microsoft, they've cobbled several, several services together. And so when you view an animated GIF inside of Teams, you're actually using the Teams client with SharePoint storage and Skype, which is actually handling the animated GIF storage. Um, so all these different domains. And so that means they had to do token-based authentication to connect these services together. And there were some of the domains that were used in the token exchange that were not secured. And so somebody was able to craft an animated GIF that would be loaded with basically a, a mechanism to be able to hit that authentication, reach out to the wrong domain, and transmit the credentials out to an external server, which is then what allowed the attacker to be able to get in and slowly peruse your team's environment. Yeah, you can you can basically take uh, what's called the magic um, the magic digits or the magic number or whatever it is that's the, the, the identifier that tells the computing system that this is a GIF. That's the file type on this. And then you can then take malicious code Put that magic number that says, hi, I'm a GIF, and smack them together, and then label it .gif, and the system goes, ah, oh, it's a GIF, and if it checks for the file type, it's going to get that magic number and see, it, it said it's a GIF, it must be a GIF, and then I'll execute this code, and now we have a problem. And in, in addition to Teams client, that's just HTML and CSS, right? Yeah, it's basically like a custom web browser. Yeah, so I can pull all those web browser tricks where I go, yeah, load this GIF, also run this callback. Yeah, and so the the team at CyberArk actually did a proof of concept, and so there's a, a video that's linked in the ThreatPost article, so um, we'll make sure that that link is in the uh, YouTube description for this episode. But it was pretty cool. I watched it, and they, you can see, you know, th they show both screens, basically, of I'm, I'm putting in the GIF here, I'm hitting send, and then here's what's going on in the background. And, you know, on, on the recipient's end, it's not like they see a mistake or an error or anything that would tip them off that something's happened. They just see the, the GIF show up, and... And there it is, and, and everything looks fine, but except in the background, you know, they're losing uh, all that that sweet, sweet data. <laughs> so. yep. Now, for the end users out there, the important thing to remember is that Microsoft has already patched this, and seeing as Teams is kind of a hosted service, uh, that means we are covered. But it does show that even though Microsoft Teams is security-focused, like their security track record is better than, I don't know, Zoom, for example, uh, they do still have their own problems, and people can get really creative about attacks like this. And in, especially in this case, somebody just viewed a GIF, and that's it. They don't even know they were hacked. And so it's invisible. How do we detect that? It's not, you know, we don't have access to the underlying servers even. This is a very difficult one to, to detect. I mean, do they even have to do anything? Because you're not, you don't open a GIF in Teams. It just, it just shows up. So they didn't even have to, to do anything uh, to uh, basically accept this, this attack. Yeah, the, the hardest part is like Teams is normally closed off. So you would need to to be an employee. You'd need to be an insider, somebody who's a part of that Teams account to be able to send the message. But you could probably just walk around a building and find an unlocked computer. Somebody's yeah. got Teams left open and throw it on there. Uh, I, I guess you got bigger problems if somebody could do that. Well, you could do it at a Starbucks or you know something. Well, not these days, but um, yeah, you could find find ways probably if yeah. you stole somebody's phone or whatever. But uh, I'm, I'm glad we didn't take the... Uh, the knee-jerk reaction here and say we can't put gifts uh, on on our team's account at work for, for the time being. because it it, It's coming. That would have been the last it's straw coming. for me. <laughs> I'm out. I'm done. You need that. That's a mission-critical part. Yeah. 
I needed to do my job. Conversation stopper. I'm in, I'm in marketing. It's what I do. Hey, speaking of marketing, I should mention uh, <laughs> some things that are happening. Uh, first of all, we have some webinars, I think, that are coming up. I should actually bring up that site like I normally do. But uh, yeah, here it is. We've got, well, Evolve Server Management with Windows Admin Center just happened, and that's now in the archive. So if you head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, you can go ahead and view that one on demand. And then the next one we have scheduled is Help Desk uh, Health Check, which are key metrics that gauge help desk efficiency, and that is Thursday, May 7th uh, with Joe Peacock. And then on May 21st, succeeding with the new Cisco certifications, get tips from the pros at IT Pro TV, and that's Anthony Sequeira and Ronnie Wong doing that. And, and those guys have been pumping out uh, Cisco content. What, Encore? And RC. And RC. Yeah. Insled is uh, in the works. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of new stuff there and a lot of changes. With crazy names. In the cert- yeah, weird, weird stuff that I don't know what the naming structures are for that. Uh, it's like CSGO. Just they have these acronyms, and it's funny because they don't even have all the words represented in the acronym. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah well, if you head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, uh, you can find out all about those and sign up and uh, and watch the upcoming ones and see the ones in the past. And while you're on the Internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado, and that is where you can get a 30% off coupon code for your personal subscription to ITProTV. You can also request a demo uh, for your team and uh, sign up for a team trial uh, so your company can see all the great features available to teams as well. That's over at go.itpro.tv slash technado. And I think that's, you know, probably all I had to talk about. Yeah. Maybe subscribe. Yeah, you, uh, like review it. Review the podcast here if you like it. I mean, you made it to this point in the podcast that's saying something. Uh, so at least go and, and mention that next year. You know, something I saw in another podcast was uh, if you left a five-star review, we would do a shout-out to the person in the podcast. Ooh. Do we want to go out on a limb like that? Because who knows what names we'll get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Justin's mom, thank you. Uh, for your Justin's mom too. All right. Peter's dad. dad. Peter's dad gave us a two. A two he's like, <laughs> it's the first time he's given me anything. Screw you, dad. <laughs> Listen, son, can't you do anything right? <laughs> Why can't you be more like Dan? For some <laughs> reason. Have y'all seen Walcard? The story of Dewey Cox. Yeah. 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 Remember the dad just always said, "Wrong kid, dad." Right? Yeah. So. When you said that about Peter, I could just see Peter's dad going, wrong kid, dad. <laughs> I didn't have any siblings. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Why couldn't you have fallen down? I mean, there's there's random children out there that, dad, it should have been you. <laughs> yeah. That's horrible. That's Peter's reaction is pretty No, it's, I mean, it's hitting a little too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> Reminded me of middle school. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, we'll see you next week on the next episode of Technator with Don Pizzette. See you then.